Hello and welcome to the Out for Blood podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Shane, and my other host is Rachel. Say hello, hi, Rachel. Heroes. And today we have Martin Alonzo. He's the CE, COO, COO. Of, yeah, COO yeah. of Houchin Community Blood Bank. How are you doing today, Martin? I'm good. How are you guys? Doing good. Doing good. good. Nice to have you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'd like to talk to you today, Martin, about um, some of the fluctuations in the blood supply and uh, also raising awareness of donating blood because mm -hmm. we're in a nationwide blood shortage, as as you know. Mm -hmm. So um, what do you, from what you know, what has caused, I know there's probably a lot of things that has caused the nationwide blood shortage, but what are some of the reasons why we're seeing a nationwide blood shortage right now? Uh, so something that's really big, actually, um, is that it's kind of a, a, an ironic situation. Uh, last year when the pandemic started, a lot of people uh, across the nation uh, in blood banking thought that it was going to negatively impact our ability to collect blood. And there was some truth to that, but really what ended up happening is that with the push to collect convalescent plasma for people that were suffering from COVID, it actually led to record highs in uh, collecting blood. So, you know, at Houchin, for example, uh, we collected uh, about 14% more than we normally collect, which is a very, very big improvement year over year for whole blood. Uh, we've seen trends of about two to 3% on average. Uh, but last year we saw about a 14% growth, but what ended up happening though, is that the industry as a whole shifted a lot of their collection to the convalescent plasma product to help people in need, uh, that were suffering from COVID. So now, uh, we're the Delta variant kind of aside, we're back in this weird situation where we're trying to get back to some state of normalcy. Um, and we're trying to collect more of the traditional whole blood uh, collections that are red cells, plasma, and platelets. Um, but having a shift that large is going to have an impact, long-term sustained impact, uh, and we're just having to rebound from that. So um, I think part of what's happened is a lot of people uh, stepped up to help during uh, the um, attempts to collect the convalescent plasma. But uh, as the talks of COVID started slowing down a little bit last year, at the end of last year and going into this year, um, a lot of people just kind of thought like, hey, it's over, you know, our work is done, problems are being resolved, people are getting better, uh, COVID's, you know, sort of going away, which obviously, you know, when you're seeing this today, we're in the middle of the Delta variant, which is starting to generate a lot of buzz mm -hmm. because there's a lot of impact from that. Um, but earlier this year, a lot of people thought that the work was done. So we started seeing a very significant decline in people coming in to donate uh, blood. So I think that's one of the major contributors to it. I'm sure there are other things, but that's uh, that's one of the very, very um, big contributors at the moment. Well, and this isn't just a local problem. This is a nationwide issue that's going on. So really, we're just focusing on educating people, letting them know that it's still safe to donate blood after receiving the vaccination. It's still safe to donate blood after you've had COVID, as long as you've been healthy and well for 14 days. So we're really just trying to educate people, tell them to still come in, tell them that whether there's a pandemic or not, blood is always important and always needed. So I was going to ask you, Martin, did we see a lot of first time donors um, during the peak of the pandemic because of the cry for blood during that time? We did. Yeah, we saw a significant spike uh, in first time donors. Uh, and then during the pandemic, there were a lot of incentives going around. So it was really grabbing people's attention. Uh, not just that, but with all of the stay-at-home um, orders and those kinds of things, there were uh, more people sitting around at home with really nothing to do. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're sitting at home and you, whether you're working from home or whether you're not working, um, you know, one of the things you can do to help during those times is go out and donate blood. So uh, we saw we saw a huge spike in those first-time donors. Well, that and so many people that have had COVID or had a family member that was affected to COVID everybody had something to relate to. So mm -hmm. especially when we were doing COVID convalescent plasma, 
people were doing that to help others that were in the hospital or even family members, friends, all that stuff because it was so common. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of elective surgeries were canceled um, and a lot of different types of surgeries were canceled during COVID. Of course, we're still in COVID, but a lot of those surgeries are happening again, which means more transfusions are needed. So that's why we need to make sure people are still coming into the door. Yeah. You know, that's a really interesting point because you're right. It did create this big bottleneck uh, in people that were needing uh, blood for more traditional uh, type treatment. And really what ended up happening is our supply of blood went through the roof. A lot of that was convalescent plasma. Um, but then as the pandemic started sort of stabilizing, cause it really didn't go away, but as it stabilized, we still had a very, very high amount of convalescent plasma on the shelves, but we were lower on platelets, uh, plasma and red blood cells platelets in particular, because of the short, uh, shelf life, it was really, really difficult, uh, because when there's not a need for it, you really just don't want to collect it because you don't want to waste the product. Uh, you want to make sure that there's a home for the product when you're collecting it. Um, but yeah, that's really what happened is our supply went through the roof, but the demand just wasn't there. Uh, so we were struggling to, to find places to ship our blood out. Our local community wasn't using it. And then when we were reaching out to some of our partners that we normally send blood to, they were saying the same thing. They said, we just, we don't have a need for the blood right now. So unfortunately it led to a lot of product that ended up becoming outdated uh, and we just couldn't find a home for it. Uh, so yeah, we're, we're now trying to rebound from that uh, and get back to a place where our supply is at a minimum meeting our demand. Uh, and that's where I think a lot of blood blanks are struggling. Yeah. And that was actually the first time I ever seen our refrigerators full of blood. I mean, mm. most of the time the shelves are pretty much empty and we try mm. not to make it seem like we're crying wolf and mm-hmm. saying that we always have a blood shortage. But in reality, we're, we are always in need of blood and our shelves are, it's once blood's coming in, it's going out straight to the hospital. Basically. So. Yeah. There's many days where, you know, the blood it has to be tested before it can go out uh, before it goes out, it gets labeled. But there's a lot of times when the people that label our blood are waiting for the test results to come back uh, so they can label immediately to then send it to the hospitals. And in fact, we've even had some situations where, uh, we've had to ask for uh, a deviation from some of the rules that are in place uh, mm-hmm. with asking the doctor to make an exception because we have the product uh, and there's a very, very high probability that it's a safe product to use. But because the results haven't landed back at our facility, we're not able to send it out. So we reach out to the doctors and explain the situation and they can actually uh, like authorize an override to take the blood product in the event of of a serious emergency when someone's in, in dire need. Yeah, and can- Go ahead. Uh- I was going to say, can either of you guys kind of touch upon why we do all of our testing and what some of those testings are? Well, I was just going to really quickly say that when I was in distribution, I was trained on emergency release, which is, I think, exactly Mm -hmm. what you're talking about, Martin, uh, which is, yeah, I mean, nine times out of 10, it's it's a safe product. um, But you have to get the doctors, you know, sign off to be like, yeah, we're, you know, we're going to take a product that hasn't been tested, but it could save somebody's life. In fact, there was even a time where um, it was a baby unit. So it was blood for a baby and we had to get um, the sign up from the doctor. And the doctor said, you know what? No, I, because of the situation, I'm going to wait because uh, the baby could survive a couple of days, but um, without it. So um, yeah, that that's as much as I know about the emergency release. Yeah. And that's really when it's, it's, it's exercise. So they typically don't activate that protocol unless you've got somebody that's in pretty, pretty dire shape uh, in a hospital and they need blood transfusions like, like now. Um, but you had a question for us also, Rachel, I forgot. Yeah. I was just asking what, um, type of testing we do for like infectious diseases. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it's a pretty big panel. Uh, it used to include Zika, uh, and Zika actually just got removed, but it includes some of the more basic uh, infectious diseases, um, you know, HIV, hepatitis, 
Um, a lot of those blood, uh, bloodborne pathogens, sexually transmitted diseases, things like that. That's what we're really what we're testing for. But even before you really get to the testing, um, you don't want to just rely on the testing. We do a screening, uh, preliminary screening for donors. So when they come in, they have to be in pretty good health and they have to answer a, a pretty extensive questionnaire about their lifestyle, habits, travel, and things like that. So we can identify any uh, red flags early on. Um, so we don't draw blood from people who aren't eligible. Yeah, because that could seriously affect somebody. And if somebody that did donate and had a disease, if we didn't do those infectious disease tests, that could end up being transfused into a patient. So Correct. that's why we do it. Yeah. And then there's also a safety element with, with the staff that's collecting the blood. So if you've got somebody who knows they have uh, an infectious disease and is trying to donate blood, you don't want somebody trying to draw blood from then. Uh, from them, sorry, um, in the event that there's some type of um, uh, blood exposure, you just, you really don't want that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So Martin, I heard that when you donated for the first time, one of the reasons why you were so hesitant to donate until then is because you have a, a fear of needles. So if you want to walk us through kind of what made you decide to finally donate and help get over the fear of, of needles. Yeah, that's a very nice way to put it. Thank you. <laughs> I, I've, I've heard it characterized uh, a little differently before. But uh, yeah, so when I was a kid, I had a, a really, really poor experience. Um, I was getting some blood drawn for, uh, I, was, I had some issues. They thought I was having some appendix issues. So uh, the way to, to identify what was going on was to take some blood samples and run some tests. But uh, my experience did not go well. Uh, it was a very traumatic experience. Granted, I was about 10 or 11 years old. But from what I recall, it was a very traumatic experience. Uh, and it just gave me this really, really bad phobia of needles. So obviously I've had my blood taken before. I've had to have tests done. I've had to you know, have IVs and that kind of thing. But um, I've always like, I look away. It's always a very, very short process. Um, and every time I get lightheaded, I get kind of clammy. I get a little cold. So anyhow, you know, I came to work at the blood bank and I came to the blood bank last year and uh, I knew I was going to donate blood. That's just one of the things that I, I just, I came to terms with it. I said, I'm going to donate blood. I just kind of have to figure out when. Uh, and really what made me donate blood is, um, you know, in my role, I have to motivate people and I have to encourage people and I have to remind people of why we do what we do uh, and who we are for our community. Uh, and I was in the middle of talking to one of our teams and I was talking about how important what we do is, uh, how moving it is whenever we see these vehicles going back and forth to the hospitals, because every time I show up to our facility and I see a vehicle, you know, leaving or coming in, I know that we're transporting blood to help save someone's life uh, or treat somebody that, that that's in need. And it's really hard to get behind that messaging when you're not a part of that mission. So uh, mm -hmm. I was actually planning on donating blood later in the year to really just kind of muster up the courage. Um, and I was trying to get some friends from work to do it with me uh, and they still haven't done it with me. So mm -hmm. um, I'm gonna hold them to that. But anyhow, I got done with that that speech in the meeting and I just walked out and said, you know what? I'm just, I'm gonna do it. Uh, so I went out and I you know, got the finger prick and I was, I was eligible uh, with my iron. So I went into the screening. Uh, and then when I sat down, I did tell the uh, phlebotomist, I did my, my phlebotomy procedure that I would likely have a reaction. Uh, and that's what they call it is a reaction. So she did a great job. She came over, uh, brought some ice packs, put them under my neck. I think she put them on like on my chest or something like that, or on my armpits or something. I really don't remember. It was kind of, kind of blurry, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so they set me up and they distracted me throughout the entire process. So I definitely felt the needle and they warned me, Hey, we're about to insert the needle. Uh, but they kept me distracted through conversation. And it was actually a really, really pleasant uh, and quick experience. Uh, and afterward, I felt great. And uh, I was pretty surprised because I thought I was going to get uh, a little clammy and a little lightheaded, but I felt fine. And the interesting thing is that for days after that, after I got some rest, I actually felt really, really good. So I'm definitely going to 
uh, I'm, I'm a converted donor. I'm going to become an avid donor and I, I've got it on my calendar when my, my eighth week is and I'll be right back in there to donate blood again. And I'm actually O positive. So it's, it's one of the most used blood types. Awesome. And what, what would you say to somebody that is kind of in the same situation, terrified of needles? What would you tell them to encourage them? Uh, I would tell them, don't focus on that. Focus on the good that you can do uh, to somebody that's in a hospital uh, in need of your blood because all blood types are needed. There's a big misconception that some blood types aren't needed. Uh, and really the only truth to that is that some blood types are just more popular than others, um, but all blood types are needed. Um, and if you know, you're know you like an AB blood type, Typically, the red blood cells for AB blood types don't get used as much uh, in the traditional red blood cell. However, the plasma from those uh, from those people is like gold. So there's there's a need for for everybody's blood, um, and that's the beauty of the technology we have today. Is that from from every whole blood sample we can make multiple products. So everyone's blood type is needed. And if you're scared to donate, just think about the person in the hospital that could use your mm -hmm. blood, or the baby if you're you know if you're an O neg donor and you don't know you're an O neg donor. Yeah. Well, speaking of blood types, let's get into kind of the popularity of OPAS and ONAG and why we are always really requesting people with that blood type to come in and donate. Go ahead, Martin. <laughs> oh, back to me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so O positive and O negative are the most commonly used blood types. Um, o negative in particular because it is the universal blood type. So a lot of times what will happen is if there's a, a mass trauma situation and a doctor needs to get blood into a person um, ASAP and they don't have time to type their their blood to request their specific blood type, they'll just pull from, from the shelf O neg. Uh, and the challenge is that O negative blood types are really hard to find. So uh, it's, it's O positive is the most common O negative is one of the rarest, but it's one of the most used. So it kind of creates this really weird dynamic where it's one of the rarest blood types to obtain, but it's the most commonly used. So it creates shortages very, very easily. That's typically what we run out of the most. And I like to add too, if somebody doesn't know their blood type one, they can donate with us and then Mm -hmm. We'll let them know their blood type. Um, typically the results come in about 72 hours or so. Um, or if you have donated with us already and you just don't know your blood type, we have our donor portal, which can be found through our website, hcbb.com. And then you'll just click on that donor portal button. Um, if you don't have an account, you have to create an account. You'll need your donor ID and the legal name that we have in our system. Um, and then you just log in, you click your, um, your profile and then your blood types in there. All your donations are in there. You can make appointments and all that stuff. And we have quite a few people that call in um, to our centers asking when they're eligible again. So if you're if you're not sure, you can also check on the mm -hmm. on the uh, donor portal. Yeah, mm -hmm. lots of good stuff. Um, let's also so we're typically requesting O pause O neg donors to come in. Um, as Martin mentioned, O negative is usually used on premature babies, um, and so platelets platelets is another thing that we're always requesting and it's just not as common for people to come in to donate. It's a longer process. Some, a lot of people aren't really educated on it. Um, platelet donations go to cancer patients. Um, it does take a little bit of a longer process, but you can watch Netflix when you're sitting there. So if any of you guys kind of want to add on the importance of donating platelets and a whole blood donor being converted to a platelet donor. Um, I just know that through my own research and looking at different stats on donating platelets that more than half 
of the platelets that are donated are given to cancer patients. So, can, you know, if you know anyone with cancer, or if you just want to, you know, do your due diligence and as a, you know, as a part of the community and as a citizen of the of the community, then I would strongly recommend that be your main motivation because um, there's lots of cancer patients uh, that that can't get the same kind of uh, therapy and treatment without those, uh, those platelets. And so mm -hmm. if you're of any type of, by the way, um, but since we're talking about O positive and O negative, I just wanted to throw that out really quick. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And then the other thing to think about with platelets is that because a shelf life is so short, unlike with uh, a red blood cell, which can last up to about a year on a shelf, uh, with a platelet, uh, it's going to expire in about five days. So we have to have a constant supply coming through because we can't just stock the shelves with platelets. Platelets have to come in and they have to be tested, uh, and then they have to go out. Um, so that's really, really challenging. And that's I'd say that's probably the biggest challenge in the industry is leveling that out, um, because a lot of places will see a spike in collections of platelets, but the demand may not always be there. And unfortunately, the platelets will expire in four or five days afterwards. So uh, having a steady uh, flow of platelets is, is really, really critical. Yeah, true statement. Um, you guys ready for a joke? Always go for it. <laughs> um, what blood type has the best attitude? Something positive. Yeah, something positive. Be positive. Be positive. Be positive. <laughs> Cue the silence. <laughs> well, I think we've all probably heard that one just being in the industry. <laughs> yeah. Crickets. <laughs> but it's a good one. <laughs> um. Also, so one of the facts that I like to share a lot is one car accident victim can use up to 80 units. So if that puts it into perspective for you, that one person could need that many units of blood. And if we're only getting 80 donors coming in a day, that one person is taking most of that inventory for the day. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why we need to make sure people are coming in. And we want to not only have you come in one time, but we want you to come in every time you're eligible and to create that ongoing supplies because if everybody came in when they were eligible we probably wouldn't be in a shortage all the time and i remember i think it was just a couple of days of as of this recording uh there was a there was two traumas that we had recently and there was a huge need uh, for o positive and o negative blood because um usually what what they'll do is in a situation like a trauma where someone's bleeding out is they will use O negative blood because they don't have time to figure out that person's blood type. So with traumas, it's not only it's not all only the quantity that they need, but it's also specifically the the O negative because of that short time span to try to figure someone else's uh, blood type. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. So everybody loves extra incentives to come in to donate. So do you kind of want to touch upon some of the promotions that are going on right now? Sure. So uh, right now we're giving away a brand new 2021 uh, Chevy Trailblazer, and that started in July. So as the record as of the recording of this podcast, you have about two and a half months uh, to to enter. And just I probably said this on the last couple of podcasts, but um, your best chance of winning, uh, since we're talking about platelets, is to donate platelets because you have you had up to 16 chances. I don't know what the number would be now, but it's still the most uh, because plasma is, I think at this point, only two chances uh, to win or two entries into into the giveaway and platelets is still the most. So that's going to be ending on October 31st. So you still have a couple of months. Uh, so make an appointment at www.hcbb.com forward slash schedule and we can get you an appointment uh, to donate platelets. 
Yeah. And you can also follow us on social media too. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and we're always posting our promotions and really just what's going on, what blood types are needed, um, and the promotion. So. And if you're listening in uh, Santa Clarita, we have uh, Santa Clarita Drive, a big one that's coming up on mm-hmm. 9-11. Uh, and that's going to be a, a huge uh, drive. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, did you want to talk at all about that, Rachel? Yeah. So we're calling it uh, Remember the Heroes by Being a Hero. Um, it's actually the 20th anniversary of 9-11. I, that's wow. crazy to me. That is crazy. Um, so we're really wanting to make it a big thing. And our end goal is, of course, to save as many lives as we can. We're hoping to get over 100 donations that day. Um, But we also have a lot of other activities going on. We have uh, food trucks coming out from all different local businesses in town in Santa Clarita. Um, Then we have a lot of tabling uh, vendors that are going to be coming out. I think we have about 20 businesses that will be there. So we're expecting a a good audience to come out. um, And it'll be at the Cube, uh, which is actually one of the practice facilities um, for the LA Kings. And we're actually going to be giving away LA Kings, uh, quarter season passes, which that's a pretty good giveaway. I mean, I'm a big hockey fan, so, <laughs> um, but yeah, so definitely come out, even if you're in Bakersfield, everybody's welcome. So, mm-hmm. um, a lot of us will be in Santa Clarita that day. It'll be an all hands on deck, but, um, it'll be a really fun event and there's going to be a lot going on, lots of great food and we get to save lives too. So that's the best part. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I know we only have a couple minutes left, but I wanted to know if either of you guys wanted to touch on some of the deferral changes that were made. I don't know if we talked about this specifically in the last podcast, but what would you say are the the two biggest ones that that we should let people know more about? So there have been multiple different changes um, to our deferral time, and I might you might need to add on some of these, but um, tattoos. And piercings, that's a big one. And actually, a lot of people aren't aware that if you got your tattoo or piercing in a state-regulated facility parlor um, and it's licensed, uh, then you can donate within seven days. But if you just got a stick and poke in your friend's bedroom, then you can't donate for four months. It used to be one year if if you got stick and poke or just wasn't uh, state-regulated. So that was changed to four months. um, And... Multiple people have come up to me actually the past two weeks saying, hey, I just got a tattoo and I think I'm I'm not eligible for a couple more months. And they're shocked when I tell them you're actually eligible now. You were eligible three months ago. Um, and another change is, is travel. Um, there's many different changes that were added to that. Um, if you, is it European countries? Um, I think if Other you- Other than France and Ireland, I believe. Yeah, yeah. if you were there for- what adds up to five years. Yeah. yeah. Then you are eligible to donate now um, before you were not. Yeah. So. I th- what I like to tell people is a general rule of thumb is that it's become more lax. Uh, and they did that amidst the pandemic to try to encourage more people to come in to donate and make more people eligible. So I think that's a general rule of thumb is that if you've been deferred before for one of those criteria, travel or piercings, tattoos and that kind of thing, give us a call, come in and visit us uh, because there's a good chance uh, that that deferral period has been shortened. So, yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people are, are discouraged by deferrals. And a lot of times, like I was talking to someone on social media 
that was saying that she was deferred for iron, I think one or two times. And it really, you know, deterred her from wanting to donate because she thought, you know, what's the point? And then I directed her to one of our, uh, I think it was our FAQ or maybe it was even one of our social posts that talked about how to increase your iron. And it really encouraged her. So if you're out there and you're discouraged by the fact that you've either been deferred or maybe you just don't know enough about the donation process, I would highly recommend, you know, calling us or reaching out on social media or even just visit our website, our FAQ page. I mean, we have every single reason why you would be deferred and all the regulations and even the process of donating. So if you're not really sure what to expect, you can read that and feel pretty confident after you knowing exactly what's going to go into the process. Yeah. And if for some reason you can't find the question that you have on there, you just call us and um, we'll help answer that question for you. Yeah. We have yeah. three very helpful, uh, I don't know what you call them exactly, but they answer the phones and they they know everything there is to know about some of the deferrals and, and any question you might have just about the process as well. Yeah, I call them the human wikis. The human yeah, wikis. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. They <laughs> that's know actually a good all title the answers. For them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's uh, that's it for today's episode. Thanks a ton for listening. Uh, if you have, again, if you have any questions about anything regarding donations or if you need to schedule an appointment, you can go to hcbb.com forward slash schedule. If you have questions or you want uh, to figure out some of the deferral times for things, maybe you're not sure, or maybe you're not sure what the changes were, you can go to hcbb.com forward slash FAQ. And then make sure to check us out on social media. Um, on Instagram, Facebook is probably our most popular. Our newest one is TikTok. Mm -hmm. And if you like to be entertained and also educated at the same time, I definitely recommend uh, finding us on TikTok. And you can just search at Houchin Community Blood Bank or just Houchin Blood Bank on all those different profiles. Yeah. And thank you so much for joining us, Martin. Yeah. We enjoyed having you today. Um, and don't forget to, to subscribe to our Out for Blood podcast. Tell your friends, tell your mom, tell your grandparents. Uh, make sure you subscribe. Thank you for having us. Thank yeah, you guys. Thank you.